0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. We've never had a vision for a church, we've always had a vision for the city. We always said we're we're not about growing or building a big church. We're about decreasing poverty, decreasing divorce, decreasing crime, decreasing the lostness of Long Beach, increasing favor, increasing joy, increasing the presence of Jesus everywhere we go, every day we live, increasing love in the streets. We want to be here, and if we close the doors to the church, the city would be upset. There would be an uproar because all of the impact that we have. That's always been our vision. And something happened in India, and I I just want to use this time actually um, to tell you about that. So if you're here for our first time, normally I prep these sermons in advance, and I just thought today I would, I guess it's not as much a teaching as it is a confession. And what I wanted to do, and if it doesn't go over well, okay, that's fine, I'm gonna take this risk, but what I wanted to do this morning is just open up my heart and give you a window into what I'm wrestling with because like nine years ago, God put an idea in my head on this last trip and, and the problem with this idea is I actually can't articulate it like I could nine years ago. I couldn't, it was easy to hear God say plan a church, but what, what's happening now, I don't actually have clear language for. I don't have a way of articulating um, what I'm sensing, but I know something was stirred. And I thought either I could do this. I could either hear something and then become comfortable, Netflix it away, entertain myself, just keep on swimming down the stream of life and let it pass. Or I could try to model for you what happens if you listen to God, even when you don't know it. And and speak it out so that as you speak it out, it begins. It begins to take root and shape, and the idea becomes more than idea. It becomes something that you have to decide on. A, d- a decision has to be made, and things have to change. And so today, I want to invite you to wrestle with the words of Jesus. That's my one point. My one point is that you are. <laughs> oh man, love you, dude. Is that Jeremiah? Yeah, Jeremiah. <laughs> freaking hey you know and it is for the youth it is for you guys if we don't figure out a way to live out the words of Jesus then it's going to be handed on to the next generation why don't we just do it now and so um my one point is to invite you to wrestle with the words of Jesus I guess the question I want you to ask is if Jesus really meant what he said in the scriptures what does it mean for your life here and now He really meant what he said. What does it mean for me? And I'll start with myself. Um, And so when I teach the Bible, I usually have this very simple process. When I teach people how to read the Bible, I say, hey, it's very simple. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation about the Bible. What does it say? Interpretation. What does it mean? And application. Now what do I do? And so that's what every sermon has that kind of principle involved. And maybe uh, we'll get there today. But I wanna share with you my heart. And so to begin, I wanna quote um, a, a man who was a prophet to our culture. He, he died, unfortunately, um, by taking his own life, actually. But he said this in a, in a speech at a college. Um, he said this story. He said, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young, young fish swam, swim on for a bit, excuse me, and the two young fish swim on for a bit, and eventually one of them looks at the other and goes, What the hell is water? And this is still him speaking, and I'm gonna use this for me this morning. If at this moment you're worried that I plan to present myself here as a wise old fish explaining what water is to young fish, please don't be. I am not the wise old fish. The immediate point of the fish story is that the most obvious, ubiquitous, important realities are often the ones that are the hardest to see and talk about. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will gather before him, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did, For one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to the ones on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. And you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. And I was in prison and ill and you did not look after me. Then they will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Why don't we pray? Jesus. We wanna, we wanna just say that you, you didn't say this. We wanna we wanna believe the other things about your word. But Jesus, this word is this word is real, and we wanna invite your spirit to do something in us that would change us and move us and allow us to be um the followers that you invited us to be. So I pray that you bless this time and speak um, where you need to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, observations, first of all, about this text. We'll just read it. Again, I'm not the wiser fish. I'm just I'm just here to talk about the things that matter most. This is not a teaching about salvation, okay? This is not about works of righteousness. This is not about earn your way to heaven. You are saved by grace. This is not that kind of teaching. Another observation. So this is about following Jesus and what it looks like. Another observation is that this is actually the last teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew's gospel before he goes to the cross. This is the last teaching Jesus gave in Matthew's gospel before he goes to the cross. Do you think that that teaching is important? And right before this, you see that Jesus, um, he he uh, talks about ten virgins, the parable of the ten virgins, where uh, uh, there are ten individuals, five that wait for the oil and save the oil and bring oil with them, and five that don't bring oil. And at the end of the story, the five that didn't bring oil, they weren't prepared for the bridegroom. They are locked out, and it's, the bridegroom says, I never knew you. It's about readiness. The next parable before this parable, the story is about the talents God, the, the, the guy who's leaving gives out two talents and one talent um, and five talents. And the guy that had five multiplies it to five. The guy that had two multiplies it to two. And the guy that had one doesn't do anything with it. And he says, what you didn't have, even that's gonna be taken from you. And it's about learning to use everything you have for the kingdom purposes. And then he ends with this story, which leaves no question what judgment day will look like. And let me just make that observation. There's a judgment day coming according to the Bible. This isn't about salvation. This is about judgment. And what, when that day comes, according to the scriptures, all of the nations, every human will gather before Jesus and give an account for their life. Let's just pause on that for a moment. Every person will give an account for their life. And it's as easy when that day comes, it's as easy to identify the followers of Jesus like it is easy to identify sheep from goats. This is what the text is saying. I mean, this 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 is why I'm wrestling. It's just what Jesus actually says. I have this verse tattooed on my arm. But why do we make it more complicated than this? This is, I'm just asking myself, this is my wrestling. It's, you can come into it if you want or just stay comfortably on the outside. I wish I could remain there, to be fully honest. I wish I could just remain naive. But I can't because something happened and I don't know how to articulate it. I'm just here telling you what I'm wrestling with because what he says is then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Jesus will say to those on his, on his right, you are my God's son and daughter. You have an inheritance. You share my glory and inheritance. That those of us that take Jesus' word seriously and live out the kingdom, we are living currently in an inheritance of the heavenly realm. It's so much bigger than a white picket fence or a car or the next iPhone 4, 7 or whatever's next. It's already past the four. <laughs> it's so much bigger, but we get it now in the languages. We, we're living with an inheritance. We have this royal identity. This this we're, we're called to rule and to steward the kingdom. And when that day comes, we receive so much. And yet we live with this tiny, myopic view of what life is really about. It's just through getting through this day. And most of us, can we be honest? Most of us, it really does look like this. Any free second we get. Starbucks. I, I can't go, I was just watching a show with Alex the other night and the, the wheel was spinning on our computer. We don't have a TV, but we watch TV on our computer and it's spinning and my first reaction is what? grab my phone and start while I wait. I'm just, I'm just wrestling. And he says, there's a, there's this inheritance. Do we have that perspective? And, And then he says to them, the inheritance is based off of this. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me and, This isn't an exhaustive list. It's not like, okay, let's take this literally and start doing those things, although that would be enough. It's a representation of human suffering around the world as a whole. Okay, so it's just, it's kind of the the most basic reality of the things that people would suffer with around the world. And if you go around the world, that's actually what you see. The number one concern that pastors have when we talk to them is how they provide for their families. Food for their families, education for their families. And so we see it and we talk about it. And so Jesus is saying, um, uh, Your life will speak of compassion and mercy. And all that compassion and mercy is done towards me when it's the least of these. And the, and the people that, that are following God's way, they'll say, Well, whoa, 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 when did we ever see you like this? All we saw were people hurting and suffering and needing something. We didn't see you. It's like when my wife and I go out and we run into a celebrity, I always see the celebrity. She's so like, who's that? I'm like, that's Rob Lowe behind you. And she's like, oh, I didn't even notice. But I noticed like the Rob Lowe. Like there are people that are going like, who's that? They don't, they don't even know that they're serving Jesus. And Jesus identifies himself, not as the ruler, not as the king, not as a business leader, as the one needing something. He's in the place of the poor. He's disguised as the one suffering. And he says, "Whenever you do any of these things, it's not just to them, and that's an, it's, you're doing it towards me. You're doing it towards me, and I don't, I don't. I just want to push this away and and say, Jesus, can we just can it just be the U version Bible app and some lattes and some conversations about maybe what would happen if we started living this thing out, you know, in our in our forty five minute meetings." I'll give some tithe to the church. I'd give 10%. I'd support missionaries. i support Compassion Kids. Let's just make it a top percentage. Let's just make it that. That would be so much easier. Or let's make it a quiz. At the end, when the judgment comes, I can negotiate my, my way out of anything. I'm a salesman. I can talk about the Trinity. I can talk about modalism. I can talk about pre-trip, post-trip, no-trip. I can talk about all the things how many, you know, when the Bible was written, when it was the different you know, centuries and why it was compiled, I am an expert at that stuff. And Jesus says, that's not what it's going to get you in. That's not how you're separated in Matthew's gospel at 25. It's your compassion and love for the least likely kinds of people, the ones that need it the most. That's, that's how you're known. That's what makes you a sheep. Not what you know but how your life reflects who you know. Again, I'm just wrestling with this. Mother Teresa was often asked why she did what she did for the poor and she she said the secret to her infectious joy, boundless compassion, was that in every person, every paralytic, every leper, every invalid, and every orphan, she recognized Jesus. And you can debate the least of these because there is a, a centuries of debate through biblical scholars. What did, who did Jesus mean when he said the least of these brothers and sisters of mine? Did he mean all of those suffering in the world or did he mean just his church? Because he says brothers and sisters. And as far as the Bible writes and speaks, it actually does... Say he's referring to his church, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, that's referring to those that have caught hold of the kingdom mission. Those are his brothers and sisters. But whether it's one or the other, I just say, let's just go after all of it and find Jesus in the disguise of anyone that needs something. Are you with me? And, and what, what I also what also strikes me about this is Jesus thinks that his church will be in prison, His church will be needing food. His church will be thirsty. His church will be naked. His church will be the ones that are sick. And if you think about sickness in the first century, you're talking about diseases that you were at risk of catching when you cared for them. And there are, there are, are, are historians and, and, and ancient historians that would actually make observations about the early church in the second and third century where there were plagues going on and the only place that you could find people caring for them were churches and those that were serving in those places would get the disease and die, saving the lives of those that were dying from the disease. That's what the church was known. Who built, who built hospitals and orf- or orphanages and who built all the schools and education system? It was the early church. But what do we make it today? What do we make it today? And forgive me, I'm just talking to myself. We make it, we make it like this culture That it it, it just reflects the culture we're a part of. It's consumeristic. It's materialistic. It's me, self-driven, narcissistic. Our life is put, we've made Jesus in our own image. And we've made him blonde hair, blue-eyed, safe and comfortable, drinking a latte with an iPhone in one hand with a Bible app and a, a designer backpack in the other hand saying peace and love. Jesus was Middle Eastern. He was a peasant, homeless wanderer who had a cross in one hand and a towel in the other hand and died a slave's death and said, anyone that doesn't take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of being my follower. And a cross was not this thing that you put on your neck or got tattooed on your body. You didn't even mention the word in the first century because it was so harmful. It was so insulting. It was a slave's death. You would not even mention it if you were in the upper class. And yet he says, if you want to follow me, that's the only way to go. That's right, I'm preaching. Just to myself, though. If you are new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. There are refreshments out on the side. Please don't be intimidated by the message. Sheep and goats, sheep and goats. Sheep and goats, you'll be judged according to your life. There's no surprise at the outcome. There's no way of negotiating. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. It's that simple to Jesus's text. This is what he's saying. He leaves no confusion for any follower. He leaves no confusion. <sighs> your life has to reflect the God that you serve. It's gonna be about what your life looks like. Your life is saying something. Your life is speaking something. What is it saying about you? If you look at a a tree and see lemons, it's a lemon tree. If you look at a tree and see apples, it's an apple tree. If you look at the fruit of your life, what do you see? Anxiety, depression, busyness, self-doubt, self-hatred, comparison, insecurity, fear, shame, guilt, pleasure, lies, lust, gluttony, laziness. I'm just, again, this is just my list anger avoidance distracted tired that's why i'm wrestling with this that literally is my list that's what my life's saying you see there's another story in the in the gospel of luke where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and really he's asking, how do I live the life that is really life? How do I, how do I live the hashtag so blessed lifestyle? And, and Jesus says, oh, you know, he lists the 10 commandments. And the, and the guy says, I have been following all of these since I was a kid. I got those down. What else? And Jesus says, go and sell everything you own and give it to the poor. Then... You will have the life that is really life, the life that matters, the kingdom of God here and now in your existence. And the man turns away from Jesus and he walks away, downcast, sad. And the scripture says, because he was a man of great wealth, or one translation, many possessions. And then Jesus says, as he walks away into the distance, How hard is it for a rich to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it for the rich? to enter the kingdom of God. How how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Luke chapter 14, he says, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. And we sing, I surrender all, but we don't mean all. We mean a few percentage in my Sunday morning and maybe a Tuesday night. Am I right? And we struggle and I struggle and I'm trying to wrestle with this because when I hear rich, I think of everyone else but me. But in context, man, 1% of the world has a computer. 1% of the world has a college education. 3.5 billion people live on a dollar a day or less. If you have a car and you drove here, you're in the top 5% of the world. If you have any of those things, you have a refrigerator, if you have groceries, if you have have a home to sleep in, you are in the top 1% of all the world population. Are you richer than the rich young ruler? And that's my confession. The title of this sermon is, I am the rich young ruler. He doesn't have anything on me. I have an air-conditioned home. I have extra bedrooms. I have a garage full of stuff, closet full of clothes. I have a pantry. I have a computer, an iPad, and an iPhone. I have multiple cars, I have a skateboard and a bicycle. I have so much stuff and I read this text and I just gloss over it because I know, I know that I can ask a lot of questions about it. I can talk about the Greek, I can talk about the historical context, I can talk about the Jewish way of existence and how they would debate this. And like Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, the strategy of any young rich ruler is to keep asking questions so that you avoid the necessity of obedience. Diedrich. I don't know if I can. <laughs> it's recorded. <laughs> I hope. Okay, I got to come to close. Or should I just keep going a little bit longer? Yeah. Christianity, I don't know if you like this one. Christianity needs to repent from its consumeristic, narcissistic, materialistic lifestyle and find itself laying down its credit card debt in order to live radically generous for others. We need to surrender our desires for more and more stuff in order to give more and more hospitality, food, shepherd, uh, water, and clothing to those who need it. We need to stop worrying about the next product, purchase, or vacation so that we can adequately and passionately allow our lives to, uh, to reflect to this fractured and dying and hurting world who Jesus really is, that's the point of real Jesus, to meet the real Jesus who says a lot about how you live your life here and now. To absorb his message, not to add it on to your life like an accessory that you can take off when it conveniently suits you or when it's trendy and cool, but to allow it to wreck everything and then learn Learn how to put your life back together under a new kingdom vision. That's the point of discipleship. That's what I'm wrestling with. I've just made it easy for myself and my family to get away with where we're going. And let me just remind you, if you're worried that I plan to present myself as the wise old fish explaining that what the water is to younger fish, please don't be. I'm not the wise old fish. The immediate point of the fish story is that the most obvious and ubiquitous important realities are often the ones that are, that are the hardest to see and talk about. So I'm the rich young ruler in the story, and I hear the words whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And that's what I'm wrestling with. So I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure out for my family what this means and my wife and I are having discussions and it's messing up and I'll tell you what it's messing up. It's first messing up our priorities. We're having to renegotiate our priorities. We live in a home. We have cars. We have all sorts. Of, we have retirement plan. We have college fund. We have saving. We have all this stuff and now we're asking ourselves how, how is Jesus at the center of these things and it's messing us up. How we organize our time, how we organize our calendar, how we organize our private life, it's messing that up. It's messing up our priorities. If we actually take these words seriously, we're having to reevaluate our priorities as a family. One of the things we're, we're trying to figure out is how do we consume less and deaccumulate, Not for the sake of, oh, we're gonna give stuff to charity, but actually to learn to live off of less stuff, to not allow ourselves to be happy because we have more, but to live with less so that it gives space for more. And I, I, I don't have it figured out. I'm just telling you, I've found my identity in lots of things and I'm just wrestling with this. Give, we want to deaccumulate. We want to consume less. We're questioning the stuff that we have and is it valuable to the kingdom? Does it say something about who we are? We're trying to give more and we want to be with the poor more. It's easy in Long Beach. We have so much of it. Poverty is one out of five people live below the federal poverty line here. One out of four kids in our city live in the federal poverty line below the poverty line. So we're wanting to give more time and energy and money. I want to be the type of man that when an orphan is dropped off at my home, I say, okay, we'll figure it out. We're trying to stay focused. We're eliminating distractions. We're recognizing that we are very distracted as a couple, very distracted with all the social media, all the ways that we find ourselves escaping to the easy route. We're trying to wrestle with it and we're trying to invite our friends to wrestle with us. And that's how we're working this message out. That's how I'm working out what God did to me and he's doing to me. And hopefully it catches fire in our church and all of a sudden we wake up and we see, wow, look at where we've, where we've come from. And all of a sudden there's a movement of people that are living this message out. Maybe that's gonna happen. So would you wrestle with me in this? I'll just close again with David Foster Wallace because this speaks again to us. He says this, the really important kind of freedom involves attention and awareness and discipline and effort, and being able truly to care about other people and to sacrifice for them over and over in myriad, pretty, little, unsexy ways every day. It's about single awareness, awareness of what is so real and essential, so hidden in plain sight all around us that we have to keep reminding ourselves over and over again, this is water, this is water. So that's it. That's my sermon. That's my confession. Wrestle with Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.